media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. And please be seated and you can open your Bibles to Psalm 51. Uh, if you're here as a guest today visiting with your family, we've been going through Psalm 51 for the last four weeks. And this week we come to uh, verse 2 and really begin to uh, get into the, the, the depth of that this morning. Uh, how many of you, it may be a generational thing, maybe it's not, maybe it's been carried on uh, in current generations, but how many of you, um, if you got in a lot of trouble with your mom, uh, they would recite your full name? In other words, there were different levels of getting in trouble. There was, uh, you know, level one was uh, come here level. You know, Bobby, come here, or just come here. And then there was kind of that level two level that maybe your sin had been a little bit more grievous and come in here. And there's a difference between come here and come in here. Would you agree? And then there was the ultimate, the full-blown Bobby Lee Linkus. You get in here right now. Now, how many of you were raised in a home like that? That there truly was, just not, uh, I mean, if they used your full name, it wasn't to say, we love you. And we just want to bless you. No, it meant that there was trouble in the house. And so this morning we begin to see that that third level, even though it didn't happen very often, thank goodness, in, in my home, it was memorable and it was very personal. One reason my mom would quote my entire name is she wanted to make sure that it was not any of the other siblings. It wasn't anybody else. She wanted to make sure that she was communicating to me. But when we read Psalm 51, do you know that... That's kind of what David's doing. I mean, there's this experience that he has that in David's mind, David is being called by his full name. Now, we just know David, okay? I don't know that he had a middle name or a last name. I'm sure he did, but we don't know that, and uh, we don't know what it is. And so, you know, we don't see God calling him by his full name, but God has got his attention. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know that David really did fall into grievous, grievous sin. And it started with adultery and then it went into murder and it went to, I mean, this is not what you think of when you think of a person after God's own heart. And yet that's how the Bible describes David. So how can you be both of these? How can you be, you know, this grievous sin, this deep sin to to where your mom would have called you by your full name and yet also be known as this man that really does love God? I, I don't know if you've ever been there, but when we get in those places of our lives, like we were talking about last week, with parent-child dedication. Uh, we saw in that first verse that, you know, be merciful, oh God, be merciful to me. I mean, I hope that no parent has to have a child where it's somewhere in the darkness of night, in the darkness of grievous sin, that you have to yell out, but I want them to know, I want my kids to know that if they ever get into that position, and they've ever get into the depths of that grievous sin, that they have a God that they can crawl out, cry out to and say, oh God, have mercy on me. We see that continue now as we look at verse 2 this morning. There's times when I believe that God would call me by my full name. You understand what I'm saying this morning? Have you ever been that place in your life? In your own personal, not David's sin, not a friend that you knew about, not some you know person that the pastor was talking about. Have you ever been that place in your own life? You think that you really did feel the very power of God, the, the very holiness of God, call you by your own name because your sin was so grievous. Now, let me pause and take a time out right there. Theologically speaking, all sin is sin, 
okay? Where there's not big sins and little sins. There's certainly sins that have much more consequences than other sins, but all sin is theologically sinful. It's disobedience. It's grievous to God, okay? So we're not talking about little sins and big sins. We're talking about is sin. But would you agree that even biblically, I mean, there's times that we can go to the Word this morning and say, God hates this. And he lists several things that he says, I just hate this. Oh, so the other sins are okay? No, he's not trying to make a list in that order. He's trying to say, this is grievous to him. All sin is grievous to God. All sin is unrighteousness before a holy God. And all sin is personal to God. But in my own experience, as I've walked... In those times of rebellion or disobedience in my own life, there are times that God truly, maybe didn't, I didn't hear from heaven audibly, God call out Bobby Lee Linkus. But I felt like God truly was saying, this hurts me, this grieves me, this brings sadness to my life. When you begin to understand that, we begin to understand kind of where Psalms 51 is coming from. Now let me back that up biblically. In the first two verses of Psalm 51, David does something pretty unique. He uses all three primary words that the Hebrews had, the Jewish people had, for sin. You know how, you know, in the New Testament we talk about love and there's four primary words that the Bible uses for love. And we have uh, eros love and we have phileo love and we have different loves. And it kind of tells us the different agape love. Well, in the Old Testament, they had three different primary words for sin. And the thing that we notice as we begin to look at verse 1 and 2 is that David uses all three of these. Look at Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Transgressions, iniquity, and sin. Those were the three major Hebrew words to describe our unfaithfulness, our sinfulness before a holy God. Now in our eyes, we may think that he was just using different synonyms. He's a creative writer. But it's more than that. It's more than that, you know, that David just said, you know, how do I use a word without, you know, saying the same thing but not using the same word? Now what we see here is that David is telling, telling God, confessing before God, the depth of his sin. Well, one of the qualities of biblical repentance, that's what this whole series is on, because that's what Psalms 51 is on. What is biblical repentance? And one of the elements of biblical repentance is that it really does sink down into our hearts and our minds. Again, we've talked the first couple of weeks, and you've experienced this. When, when you've told your the, the brother and the sister, go hug your sister. And you know it's not heartfelt. You know it's not serious. There, there is no repentance there. Maybe not even obedience to that. But when we begin to look at biblical repentance, we see a whole different element. And when David begins to name all these three different words for sin, he's doing something to show the depth of his life, of where this is coming from of truly that he is repentant, he is sorry for the things that he has done. I mean, look down at verse 4 real quick. And we see a reflection of this. He said, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Couldn't you count Bathsheba? Couldn't you count Uriah? 
I, I mean, it's certainly David's sin affected their lives. And yet what we see in this whole psalm going is that because of his immediacy of realizing, first and foremost, his disobedience did affect other people, but first and foremost, it's against the holy God. True biblical repentance is not just saying, well, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Or, I'm sorry I got caught. No, that's regret. That could be some remorse. But repentance is when we truly come before and we realize that God in His holiness, that we have offended Him, that we have uh, broken His laws and His commandments. And, and what David is showing here is true heartfelt sorrow. Have you ever experienced that over your sin? I mean, I realize that this is a classic Mother's Day, you know, sermon. As I told you last week, you know, do I go with parent-child dedication or do we stick with the series that we're in? And I really truly believe that the best that we can do as we would observe different holidays like parent-child dedication and Mother's Day and different things is just to be true to God's word, guys. I shared with a couple of people this week that, you know, in my discipleship, I was going, you know, I'm kind of torn between the two. Do I just do Proverbs 31? Do you know, do we do something like that or do we just stick with the series because this is so pertinent to our lives. And so I ask you that question. Have you ever felt such sorrow over your sin that is truly like David here? It wasn't just, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry it turned out this way. But somewhere in your depths of your spirit and your soul, you realize that the God who made you, that you broke his commandment, and that it grieved his heart. There's times in our lives when it just we weren't just sorry for the consequences of our sin, but truly we've been broken over that sin. And that's where David is. By God's grace and by his mercy. Remember, David's kind of going on a path to just go on with his life. It's not like David woke up one morning and said, you know, I've been thinking over this whole thing with Bathsheba and killing Uriah, and I'm starting to feel pretty bad about it. No, without God's intervention, with God, without God pursuing David... And making him aware of his sin, David probably just kind of goes on. And so we've already seen God's grace and his mercy by making David aware of his sin. But when he does come to that awareness, folks, it's not surface level. It's not go hug your sister. It's not say you're sorry. It is the very core of David. And he cries out to God for mercy. According to God's grace, his mercy. His loving kindness. And in doing so, he, he mentions three different types of uh, sin that the Hebrews did. Number one, he says, my transgressions. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Now, what did the Hebrew word mean for that? It's pesha, and it's a, a word for rebellion. There... Uh, all sin in one way is rebellion, but aren't there certain sins that are just rebellious in nature? Uh, since it is Mother's Day, let's make it applicable there. If you're a mother and you have kids, has there ever been that time when you drew the line and, and either they came to the very edge of the line? Uh, our youngest daughter was kind of much more famous for that. Our, our oldest daughter, I can see the line from here. It's scary. Okay. Our second one, she knew that there was a line there, but it was like, okay, how do I kind of get out here and balance on that? 
There's just a little bit more of it. I love my second child, okay? <laughs> but there was just nature with her. And it was like, okay, let's test where the line is. And sometimes in her life, you could see just this act of a little bit of rebellion, this crossing the line. Uh, the, the word in the Hebrew means to cross the border, to cross the line. Uh, going from the United States to Canada. If you've ever crossed the border and you've ever gone to Mexico where you were driving, if you've ever gone, uh, you know, to, to Canada or something, something connected to us, you know when you cross the line. You know that it's there. We took a trip uh, years ago, took uh, 56 kids to a uh, mission trip down in, in Mexico. And when we came back, you know, I said, no, guys, when the, you know, when the people ask you about nationality, you say American, or you say, I'm from the United States. And, and I had this one guy, every youth group has one like this, and this one guy that was just full of himself, and, you know, it was jovial, the class clown, and I just knew that he very much was going to try this. He was going to get to the very edge of that line. Little did I know that he was so intimidated by our trip to Mexico and what he had seen and experienced there, that when he got back, nationality, sir, I'm an American. I thought he was going to salute. The boy was scared to death. (laughs) That's not rebellion. (laughs) There's other times in our sin and our disobedience, guys, that that we do it with a rebellious mindset. So we're even in Christian words and kind of are talking, well, I made a mistake. If I could be so bold this morning, guys... There's times in our lives that we didn't make a mistake. We rebelled against our knowledge of what was right and wrong in God's eyes. It wasn't a mistake. Mistake is I meant to sign this and then I kind of, my hand ran across it and, and kind of slobbered up all the, the ink or something. That's, that's a mistake. Or I thought the answer was three and I put in five. That's a mistake. The word that's used here that David uses for his own sin, his transgressions, he said, I rebelled. This wasn't a mistake. David in no way is trying to water down his sins. But then he moves on to another word. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Okay, I don't know which one sounds worse to you, transgression or iniquity, but none, none of those are really just like, you know, words like we like to hear. Hey, can we have a talk about your transgressions? Can we have a... I talk about your iniquities. I mean, most of us would not really be that entertained to go to a conversation like that. And yet David brings those very words and that description of his own rebellious heart to a holy God. This biblical repentance that he is feeling here is not just, hey, I'm sorry. But he comes and he uses this word, iniquity, and it means crooked. But it doesn't just mean crooked like this. It means you bent it. It means that you knew that it was a straight line and you forcibly bent it. There was an intentional twist in your mind. Have you ever done that before? Trying to reason away your sin? Well, it's not that bad. Or this is one of our favorite phrases. Well, you know, a lot of people do it and they do it a lot worse. Like God says, oh, okay, my bad. I'm backing off because you're not one of the worst people in the world. Folks, We serve a holy God. He's perfect in every way. He demands righteousness. And yet none of us are righteous. And David realizing the depth of his sin, 
doesn't try to make excuses. He doesn't try to water it down. He says, I have transgressed. I have left. I have crossed the line of your righteous border. And I've been crooked. I've twisted your truth, God, to satisfy my own heart. He didn't say, well, you didn't technically say to do this. I mean, back in David's time, when you're the king, are you allowed to have multiple wives? If you don't know Jewish tradition, you can, okay? God had told David previously, if you go back and look in the other scripture, it says, okay, you're not to have a lot of wives. Uh, but here, it's not even his wife. In other words, David knows what's wrong here, guys. He doesn't try to try to twist his way out of it. But then there's a third word. He says, and cleanse me from my sin. The word chata. It means a wandering. And this is maybe the one that's, you know, doesn't sound as bad. Oh, you wandered off. But in one way, I think maybe the one that is most offensive to God. And until you've had a child who's wandered off, and you know the sorrow of watching a child wander off, I don't know that we can really put ourselves in that place to understand how grievous it is to God, how heartbroken God is over our sin when we wander off from what is good. In Luke chapter 15 in the New Testament, Jesus tells the story about a parable of two sons. And one of the sorrowful things that we see in there is the, the sorrow of this father, because if you go back and read that story, the son comes up and says, give me my inheritance. Which would have been pretty offensive because the father's not died yet. But he doesn't do it just once. He keeps on coming back and coming back. And he purposely wants to go out there and live a different life. I'm tired of this life, Dad. Tired of growing up on a farm. I want to go out there and experience life. When we have children, when we were children that wandered off from things that our parents taught us, especially those spiritual truths, those commands of God. It hurts the Father's heart. Because now it's really, really personal. Now it's not just a theological holiness thing. Now it's personal. I gave you everything. <laughs> Remember what he said in, in, in Samuel, what we read a couple weeks ago, that it says that you, David, you despised my word. You despised, if, if you didn't have enough, David, you could have asked and I would have given you more. Parents, can you relate to that? The kind of love that we have for our kids. I mean, the other day, we're just FaceTiming some of my grandchildren, two of my grandchildren, just one try. You want a pony? You know, well, what color? How big? Do you understand that kind of love? Do you understand where David was coming from? I mean, where God was coming from? This personal offense. David, if, if, if that wasn't enough, I've already blessed you with all these different things. If that wasn't enough, know that I would have given you more. But David wandered. So he crossed the line in rebellion. He, he twisted the truth of God. And he abandoned what God had made so wonderful, his mercy and his grace and his way and his life. Now, you may be asking this morning, why does it matter that David is describing his sin in such a way? Oh, it's like this. Let's say that you begin to feel pretty bad. And so you go to the doctor. 
And the doctor tells you after a complete examination, you're sick. There's that dumb moment like, okay, that's why I'm here. And that's all he said, you're sick. You pushed him and you pushed him and you pushed him. He said, okay, what am I sick from? And then he says, okay, if you just need to know, you have cancer. And you begin to go, okay, what, what kind of cancer? And what if he doesn't tell you? Is there a difference between different cancers? It's all cancer, just like we're saying sin is sin. I'm not trying to make big sins. Little, but will some sins affect you more in, in the practicality of life? Yeah. They're all sin. They're un, all unrighteousness before a holy God. Please hear that theologically. But also understand that one of the benefits of what we see David doing here and identifying his own sin in three different ways, wandering and rebellion and crossing the line and twisting truth, is it helps him to understand, just like a doctor would say, okay, actually you have this kind of cancer. Because all of a sudden, we'd be matching up that kind of cancer with the kind of treatment that we need. Does it make sense? Is there profit of knowing that there's smart people out there in testing technology and all kinds of different things to tell you what kind of cancer you have? Are you a beneficiary because you would know what type of cancer you are instead of, well, you're sick? When you begin to pinpoint this type of cancer, then you can start to pinpoint the remedy. And so one of the things as David goes here, he's not just having this pitiful moment. Oh, poor pitiful me. I wandered. I twisted the truth. I, I kind of did this. No, in this heartfelt biblical repentance, he comes before his father, his maker and his creator. He said, God, I've sinned against you. And this is the kind of sin that I've had. I've had a rebellious heart. I left the safety of your way and I traveled out away from the blessings you've given me. In one way, we could kind of stop right there, but this has practical application to our life. Have you ever wondered how detailed you should be in your confession of sin, in your prayer before a holy God? Now, let's remember, have you ever informed God of anything that he did not already know? No. I mean, I love some of our prayers sometimes. God, the woman third house down across the street, the woman with the blonde hair, not the, not the brunette, but the, 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 and God's going, thank you. Because I was clueless. Can you give me a street address? No, God already knows everything. So when it comes, let's talk about the practical part of this, guys. When we're praying, and we're confessing our sin. I mean, have you ever said, God, forgive me my sins? Like this blanket prayer? That's better than not praying. But can we take that same kind of strategy? Can we kind of take the same truth and the application there that what happens when I confess my sins more individually, more detailed, instead of just this blanket, God, and God, forgive me all of my sins? It doesn't improve God's knowledge of sin. In fact, get this, guys. He already knows your sin, rebellious, wandering. He knows that better than you do. You're still kind of figuring it out. God already knows what kind of sin it was. Who's the beneficiary the more detail we get about our sin? We are because we learn. Again, moms, on this Mother's Day, Has there ever been that joyful 
you know, moment of your motherhood when, when you truly see a brother go up to a sister or a brother going up to a brother or a sister going up to a sister and go, no, I, sis, I, I'm sorry. I did this and it was wrong for this reason. And I shouldn't have done that because I said that it really kind of broke your heart. Moms, you're going victory? In 18 years, they finally realized that what they did affected somebody else. Now, are you just glad because you see them weeping and crying and confessing? Now, you're happy because the more that they learn from their sin, that is, how it broke a relationship to a sister or a brother, how it broke your heart as a mother to a child, the more we begin to understand and learn about our own sin. How detailed should we get? Guys, I'm not trying to get a list. I'm just saying that sometimes when we just say, okay, God, forgive me of my sins, that's kind of the depth that we're going to get as our own learning. God already knows those sins. In fact, let's go one step further. Theologically, he's already paid for those sins, right? But he wants us to learn. Notice with the three descriptions of sin that David also points out three things that he desires God to do about his sin. That there's an answer that God is giving to David, hope for, in the midst of his sin. Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. So blot out number one. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now what do those words mean? To blot out means, it's usually used in a negative sense. It means to obliterate, to leave no trace behind. We see it used in Genesis when all the people are so sinful and they've just rebelled against God. And, and you know, God says, I will blot out man. Genesis 6, 7. Look what the Lord said. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven. For I am sorry that I've made them. It's kind of a negative sense of blotting out, isn't it? I'll just erase them. And yet he, he gets Noah to build an ark. And he puts this, by his own mercy and his own grace, he puts you know, Noah and his family on there. So this blotting out, usually used negatively, but here it's used positively. He said, will you obliterate any sign of my sin? Hopefully you've never had to do this. Hopefully you will never have to do that. Let's say that you were involved in a murder directly. And you had to clean up the room afterwards. What do you want to leave? I mean, if you've watched enough little crime shows... You go, okay, I need to make sure that I do this, this, and this. In other words, I want to make sure I don't leave a trace of my DNA. I want to make sure all this. Now, I'm not suggesting that as your pastor, okay, that you're going to have to ever use this information. I'm just saying, would that not be your desire that to get away with whatever grievous murder that you did to leave no sign of behind? This is what David said. Will you blot out, will you leave no trace of my sin? By God's mercy and his grace. In Isaiah chapter 43, when he's talking about the coming Messiah one day, in that prophecy, listen to how he uses, the prophet Isaiah uses this in in his writings about a Messiah coming, about Christ coming one day. I, 
This is the word of God. This is God's words. I, I am he who what? Wow. So God, you would do that for me? You would blot it out to leave no trace behind? God, you, you would clean up my crime scene? And yet that was the promise of a God who is in Isaiah 43 telling us about a Messiah that would come. David doesn't stop there. He says, wash me thoroughly. Well, it literally means to remove the stain and dirtiness of sin. It was often used of clothing that had come in contact with somebody that had leprosy. I mean, if, if you had come in contact with somebody that had some kind of a, a disease like that, would you probably wash your clothes afterwards? More than likely, Yes. And that's what he says, will you wash me? I mean, think of, of clothes that smell so terrible, uh, that, guys, that your wife suggested that you throw it out. And yet you said, no, this is like my favorite shirt. Just wash it. We hear this washing is one. That, or if you, have you ever had a stain on something? You're, you know, again, my wife would probably throw it out if there was a stain on there. I'm going, you can't really see it. Not if I do that. You can't see that stain. This is my favorite shirt. David request of God, will you get the stain out? I tried to wash it myself and it just keeps on coming back. It just doesn't go away, God. Will you take the stain out? Isaiah 1.18 Come now and let us reason together for the says the Lord, though your sins be like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. He says, well, you get the stain out. And the third word that he says, cleanse me. This is a word that's used 79 times. The Hebrew word is used 79 times in the Old Testament. And almost all of those are in Leviticus. Now, what do we know about Leviticus? It's kind of boring. Yeah, your pastor said that. It is kind of boring because it's a lot of the, you know, the temple and getting purified for service and for all those kind of things. Let's make it real life. What is David asking for? God, will you remove the sin of my life so that I can be prepared to worship? Remember when you read in Leviticus, all the things that the priests had to do? I mean, they had to change clothes. I mean, it's very detailed. They had to wash, not just kind of, that three seconds underneath some water, they had to go through a whole purification system in order to go worship and lead worship. And that's what David is saying here. God, will you do this with sin? I committed adultery. I've murdered a man. Will you clean up my crime scene? Will you remove the stain? Will you now make me ready to worship you once again? To be able to come to your altar? Folks, this is our hope in Christ. This is for anybody who's ever crossed the border. This is for anybody who, well, I didn't make a mistake. I actually went purposely, rebelled in my heart. I twisted the truth. If that includes you this morning, and I imagine that it does, all of us have done those different things in our lives against the Holy God. This is our hope. That God provided a Savior, Jesus Christ, 
so that we can come to him and say, okay, God, God, will, will you blot out my iniquity? God, will you wash me thoroughly? Will you cleanse me? As we will see with David, will you make me ready to serve you again? Let me wrap all this up as we go this morning. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. David believed by faith that God was going to send a Messiah. By the time we get to the New Testament, God has fulfilled this promise and he has sent his own son, Jesus Christ. And so now when we kind of say, okay, did did Christ blot out our sin? Did he wash me thoroughly? Did he cleanse me and prepare me for worship again? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For all who have placed their faith and trust in the work of Christ. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, look what it says in verse 22. Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen, church? This is what Christ did. We see the depth of our sin, but we see that God has an answer for sin. And that answer for sin is not, well, it really wasn't a sin, it was more of a mistake. Uh, That answer for sin isn't, well, you know, I'm kind of learned a little bit, I'm not going to do that again. No, before holy God, we needed something blotted out. We needed something washed thoroughly, guys. And only Christ could do that. And he has. This is our hope. I was talking to one of my discipleship guys this week, and I said, man, you know, this this whole series, we're going to be talking a whole bunch about sin. You know, it's not three ways to, to be a better mother and not five ways to be a better husband. And But I truly believe this is the foundation that we build upon. Not in our own efforts trying to be just better people, but us realizing the depth of our sin, an offense, a rebellion, a twisting of truth before a holy God. But it would be hopeless and helpless if he did not give us an answer. This is the hope of the gospel, guys. And as entertaining and maybe in one way practically speaking, three ways to be a better mother, five ways to be a better husband has some practical sense to it. And I can write those up and send those to you in an email, okay? That's not a problem. I pray I never get in this pulpit and, and preach anything but the gospel. I, I pray that as we open up week to week, we're in Old Testament, we're in New Testament, we go through books of the Bible, and yet this seems to be the consistent theme. Man's rebellion and God's amazing love and grace and mercy that he provided through his own son. That, I pray, will be the eternal message from this pulpit until Christ comes back. Because this is our only hope.
Let's just put that to the test. Have you ever felt so bad about a sin you say, I'll never ever do that again? How many of you don't have to tell me what the sin is, okay? Have you ever done that? And yet you did it again. Well, you just need more willpower. You need your mama to call you by your full name. No, I need a savior, guys. I need a savior. To blot out my sin, to wash me thoroughly, to prepare me to, for service and to worship him. And this is the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. For every father and mother in here, every parent and grandparent, and for every child that you're raising, this is their hope. Not to learn a couple more rules about morality and try to walk that fine line to be filled with the very spirit and the hope of Jesus Christ, to be overwhelmed by his blotting out and what he has done. What that verse said there in, in Hebrews about preparing for us an opportunity to live life beyond our sin. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray this morning that we've preached your word and Father, that we've uh, Father, made it in a way that, uh, that we can understand that through your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would just give us a, a, a leadership and an understanding there. Father, I pray this morning that, that we realize as much as we want helpful hints, that, Father, Christ did not come to be a life coach. He came to be a Savior. What I didn't need, Father, was just to kind of help tuning in a little bit deeper morality. Father, what I needed was somebody to blot out my transgressions. To forgive and erase my iniquity. To prepare me for worship before you, a holy God. So, Father, I pray that we would have that understanding this morning, Father. And I pray that as we would go out into this week, that, Father, that you would more and more identify in our hearts and our lives, Father, the times that that we did rebel. It's not a mistake. It is rebellion. The times that we twisted the truth and try to make right in our mind something that we knew was wrong in your mind. Or, Father, when we have offended because we left the safety of home with you, a Father that loves us, and we wandered off because we thought life would be more exciting out there beyond your home. So, Father, thank you for your grace. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the hope that he brings. And Father, I pray this morning that we would take that to heart and we'd live that out, this hope of the gospel, even this week as we pray this. Father, create in us a clean heart. Renew within us, even this day, Father, a right spirit before you. And we pray this in the one that made it possible, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.